Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au. Predict Australia's score with a crystal ball. And it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals. All thanks to McDonald's. Mackers, together and loving it. TNCs apply. Welcome to Crunch Time. Kick the low ball to centre half forward with the flight. Patrick Dangerfield. 45 seconds into the preliminary final. Patrick Dangerfield goes back and kicks through. First goal in under a minute. Guthrie, a clever tap. Dangerfield aiming for his second. Got it! Oh, what a start from the champ. Knocked it on to close, hand pass to Stengel, has a look inboard, then goes himself. Stengel hangs it up and lands it home. One of his very best. It's straight to sell with the Cats are out the front, hand pass to close, on to Rowan, sizes up the goal and got it. We're inside the last 10 seconds. Geelong are on their way to another grand final. The clock counts down, the siren rings out. The oldest team of all, almost flawless as they win the preliminary final and give themselves and Chris got their best chance in more than a decade. I used to think 30 years ago, whenever it was, that you could just isolate yourself from the week and just treat it like another week. I think if that was possible then, it's impossible now. So you've almost got no choice but to embrace it, which is the right way to go anyway. But it's so hard to get to this situation. So, you know, the only way you can really, you can muck it up is to is to try to hide away from it, I think. So embrace the moment. The Cats dish out a preliminary final mauling with their full threat on graphic display. 12 months on from a thrashing in the corresponding game, Geelong is through and bound to run favourites in the third grand final of the Chris Scott era. Um, it'll be a message of optimism mixed in with a bit of disappointment from tonight. That's how, how we'll treat it. Um, you know, there's been a, a lot of good things that have happened this year. Tonight wasn't one of them, so we shouldn't, you know, not talk about those things. But we should also talk about uh, the learnings we get from playing a, against a great side like Geelong, who just played a brilliant finals game tonight and looking great shape for next week. Brisbane's brave finals campaign meets a grim ending. Where does it leave the Lions' premiership planning and aspirations as the last barrier again proves too steep to clear? Picked up by Lloyd. He has a shot. Oh. The Lloyd's prayer is answered. What a goal. Prelim finals are really you know, what it's about as far as making sure you give yourself every opportunity in them. And, and so to be able to do it in front of our home crowd is really exciting for us, our, our players and critically our supporters to be able to come along here to the SCG and, and get behind the team. We're really looking forward to it. He sets it up to full forward. Majek, oh look out! Ginnivan's going to kick the opener and he hairs off to the crowd to harness the energy of 90,000 magpie fans.
We're here to win it. One more game and you're in a grand final. We're here to win this thing. We know what's coming up in Sydney, but we'll, uh, we'll give it our best shot. And all eyes to the SCG for what might be the most anticipated match of this memorable season. The Collingwood Army has travelled en masse to the Swan Stronghold on what promises to be a captivating evening of footy in the Harbour City. This is the preliminary final edition of Crunch Time. Not the thriller we've become accustomed to in this finals series last night, but the day has dawned magnificently in Sydney. Everywhere we've turned, there have been Collingwood fans. Presumably, the Swans supporters will pour out of their homes a little later on and we will get some sort of afternoon in the Harbour City. Jared Waitley with you for Crunch Time. Dermot Burton has travelled alongside me. Hello, Derm. Good morning, gentlemen. What a... Uh... No, not really what a surprise, but what a great effort by Geelong. The Cats were, well, they re-emphasised why they were the best team in the competition, as their seeding on the ladder would suggest. And those Collingwood supporters, they've already checked out of their hotels. They're on the way home tonight with glory or doom, one or the other. They've already checked out, so that's why they're all on the street already. They were on the planes, they were in the cafes, they were gathered en masse in the, the Moore Park area out and the they, back. And they want to let you know they're here too, don't they? <laughs> they do. It's fantastic. They want to lay claim to the city. Leon Cameron is with us at the SCG. Hello to you, Leon. Jared, yes, it's a fantastic day. Sydney's turned on uh, 22 degrees at the moment, Jared. And you're right, when I was walking in, there was a sprinkle of Swan supporters, but clearly they don't have to get here yet. But the Collingwood Army is coming and... Uh, Oh, it's going to be a great atmosphere. I, I was up here a few weeks ago and watched this game, and the crowd was fantastic. And Collingwood probably weren't at their best, and the Swans played an awesome brand. But add another probably six or 7,000 to that, it's going to be deafening today. We're going to delve deep into that game as crunch time unfolds rather beautifully at the SCG. They've got the centre wicket area covered. covered. They've just pulled out the covers. Preparing yeah. for cricket already, <laughs> you reckon, Jared? <laughs> maybe, maybe. Which end would you come in from, Jared? <laughs> Uh, Which would you run in from? I would come in from the noble stands. <laughs> yeah, it's always better running downhill, isn't it? Which <laughs> is what the cats were doing from about the ten-minute mark of the third quarter. It was it was a frightening display oh. in a way. Yeah, I mean everything that they have done in the last fourteen games was absolutely outstanding, and uh, I mean they just put it into on the on the biggest stage, the hardest game to win. And people ask, why is it the hardest game to win? Because you. You don't want to get injured, but you know you have to give everything you've got. You don't want to get reported, which you had to worry about a lot of times. Um, <laughs> it's looking at you, but, Jared. <laughs> but they've just done it, and by quarter time, the general sense was if they had a kick straight, they'd probably been a, a little bit more in front. But uh, credit where credit is due. I mean, this is the hardest game. Derm, you know it's the hardest game. Jared, you commentated on it. To do what they did last night was an awesome tick for them. Nine times out of ten preliminary finals are where you have two teams meeting that are one has still got still got one more week left of their peak the other will find their peak somewhere in the game and that's I mean season's peak and then the strain of the season kicks in and the game goes too long for them when they make the grand final next week so the season goes too long it's rare you find a team making the preliminary where the season's gone one game too long as a preliminary finals. That's why they're great games, because mm. teams peak at preliminary final time. Two teams peaking, but last night we saw one that had 
had reached their peak last mm. week. Yeah. And they couldn't replicate it. There's a few uh, issues with how they played and the likes, but they missed their peak last night. It was beyond them. Yeah, it was. And yeah, Geelong exposed all facets of that, yeah. you know, and uh, no doubt we're going to dive into that a, a little bit more later. The Friday night scores for Werribee Isuzu Ute. Upgrade your old Ute into D-Max now. They are paying top dollar for trade-ins. Geelong 18-12-120, defeating the Brisbane Lions 7-7-49. Jeremy Cameron's going to join us in about five minutes' time as the Cats prepare for a grand final. Sam Edmund is back in the studio in Melbourne for us. Hello to you, Sam. Hello, Jared. G'day, Leon. Good morning to you, Dan. Great to be with you all. The storyline out of the game from an injury perspective is Max Holmes. Yeah, I touched base with the Cats on the way in this morning. So he'll be scanned today, as we know, become a really important cog off that wing. They're optimistic, we know. Neural hamstring issue, they believe, Jared, which he's had before. Now, time will tell whether that's more hope rather than reality, given Hammy Nicks might just be the most respected injury in the game at the moment. So if the scans show there's a tear, it's an easy decision, isn't it? If it is only neural, much more difficult that decision becomes. Tight Hammies can pull the next week, and this is an explosive player. Last thing you want, of course, as Leon would attest, is to have a player and have to withdraw him some 20 minutes into a grand final. So an agonising week potentially coming up for them in that regard. There is a heartbreaker every year. I mean, Holmes did have ankle surgery earlier this year, but hasn't he hit back? featured in the last 10 games and um, his speed and his line-breaking ability were crucial in the first final against Collywood and he had a real impact early last night. So what goes into all of this, Leon, as you contemplate whether a player is fit and able? If the scans come back with damage, it's an easy decision. If Mm. not, then it becomes more nuanced. Yeah, it's the nightmare of 19. (laughs) Uh, Phil Davis doing a test out on the ground. I Mm. mean, oh, look... He, I think Sam hit, hit the nail on the head. He's such an important cog. He's a second year, second year young kid or third year. Um, he's just his motor. Derm is equal to Isaac Smith, and we know how Isaac Smith runs. Yeah. So he's got a massive motor, and he helps Selwood and Dangerfield do what they do because he plays big game time. He goes up and back. He covers them defensively. He's just a really, really good kid. The ultimate professional. Um, so you would be doing everything possible. You'll be doing giving to Friday. Clearly, if the scan's no good, then he's out. And then you've got to look at you know whether it's Menangola or Parford. And everyone probably just says, oh, Parford, is he the next one in? But he doesn't play Holmes' spot. So you then go, well, can Menangola can just roam up the wing? Or do you bring in O'Connor, who's been the sub? So if it's not and it's neural, you'd be giving every every chance to their final run and see how he's going. Um because he's such an important cog. I know we're not talking about Selwood or Dangerfield where the spirit of the side comes into it as well, but in terms of just structure, you'll be giving him every chance. And uh, you're probably not making a call on Saturday, but you'd be making the call Friday. A bit on him. His, we love wingers who are line runners. They'll run through lines to get to the next line to assist. Now, uh, Isaac Smith is probably, over the last decade, game's best at going deep into defence, but he's not going... Normally, he doesn't go deep into defence to defend. He'll run the lines and be an attacking player Mm. coming forward who breaks up the opposition by that sheer running power. The thing with Holmes is he runs through the lines to get into defence to assist as a defender, Mm. and that makes him invaluable because then he also, once on turnover, his reaction time to go click on the other way and go the other way, he almost... Suicide runs, shuttles the lines, you know, and he just keeps going. His drive to do that is the equal of Ed Langdon. 
at, yep. at Melbourne. And Absolutely. that's how far he's come, this kid, in two, two really good seasons. Um, yeah, is it a, a hard luck story? It could be. Can I ask you, just for historical sake, if you were faced with the situation again now and a bit wiser... How would you go with Phil second time around? Phil Davis, yeah. would you play him? It's a really good question. I, I mean, he was our captain of our footy club. I let him take control of that. The he thing couldn't it, chase that day. The he thing, couldn't chase the, the, the thing, lead. The thing you couldn't see, though, was Matty DeBoer was in the same position. Adam Kenley was in the same yep. position. Aidan Core was in the same. There was about six of them that were really struggling banged at up. that time. Really banged up. And it was a case, could we go to match committee on the Wednesday and say we're going to bring in four first gamers for a grand final? It was at that Was point. Lockie Keefe in the line, in, in contention? And so then that was the interesting one. Do you play Lockie over Phil because it's like for like? Yeah. Oh. Good <laughs> don't, Sorry. Don't you, don't you have to wait till 12 o'clock to ask Do you need an hour to get into that? Yeah, you bring him back nightmares, You've mate. got 60 Jeez. minutes. <laughs> Sam, the other aspect to last night in a thoroughly modern way, the postscript mm. for the Lions has played out on Instagram. Oh, it has, hasn't it? And it's the career of Mitch Robinson. I think it's fair to say, Jared, that it ended on something of a sour note. Uh, it was his last game as a line going back to that uh, elimination final against Richmond. Now, he was told several weeks ago, this has all been happening in the background by Chris Fagan, that he wouldn't be contracted for next year. At the age of 33, 247 games, 147 of them at the Lions after being delisted by Carlton. He has been a great story, Mitch Robinson, but he was told he wouldn't be recontracted. But then, for reasons we don't know, was told that he couldn't communicate that to the players and to the fans in terms of, this is my final year, let's Let's um, band together and go out on a high note. Now, he did take to Instagram, as you mentioned last night, Jared, once the season and the campaign concluded for the Lions, to say that he was devastated Fags wouldn't allow him to announce this in person to the supporters and his teammates, but I guess that's footy. So Mitch Robinson bows out, at least from life up at the Gabber and life at the Brisbane Lions, uh, having lost his spot in the side, but unable to communicate his long-term future. Round 23, there was a sniff of this. He was emergency sub. And he came on late in the game yep. and he kicked a really good goal. And as he was walking back to his position, and this is a game where they got trounced, and as and, and you thought he might be saying, come on, boys, let's fight it through. He was shaking his head sideways in the no action and swearing. Mm. And it was anger. So I looked at him and I thought, there's something wrong with this, this lad yeah. right now who's always so positive. He's angry about being left off the ground or he's angry at something else that he's been told and he believes he's been undervalued by the club. We might come back to that because a couple of months ago you were of the view that there was definitely another role in footy for him. Mm. So we'll work through that. But Jeremy Cameron is with us. He's into his first grand final as a cat, having experienced one at the Giants under Leon Cameron. Jeremy, welcome to Crunch Time. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on. What's your overall sense knowing that you are seven days away from a grand final? Yeah, pretty exciting um, for sure. Last night it was nice to celebrate with the boys briefly there uh, before we sort of drifted off back home. But um, yeah, it's going to be a big week, so we need to um, take it all in and enjoy the moment. What's your assessment of, of how last night went? It was such a uh, such an impressive display of the, the might and power of Geelong. Yeah, for sure. I thought the, um, the guys up the field were awesome. Um, you know, particularly our midfield fought really hard. 
Um, they brought a lot of pressure and got the ball forward to us, um, forwards pretty quickly. So, um, yeah, our small forwards were unreal as well, getting up and back like they usually do, and, and our defence held up strong as well. Jez, Leon here, mate. Congratulations, buddy. Thank you, Leon. Now, can you, Jez, can you just enlighten us a little bit? Um, I mean, I know you love your footy, um, but you also love your farm. What will you be doing today? Most of the Geelong <laughs> players will be watching the Sydney Swans v Collingwood today to see who their opposition in the grand final. Is there any chance you might be out on the tractor or the four-wheel drive or doing something and not even watching footy, or have you changed a little bit in your time? Um, yeah, I'm actually on the way to Harvey Norman right as we speak, so um, picking up a few appliances for the new man cave I've been building. Uh, I'm pretty excited because I'm just fitting off the final touches, which is um, a good time of year to be finishing that. So um, I'll do that today. The lawns need mowing, that's for sure, but uh, it's a bit wet and windy here, so I might stay away from that. The, the family's also here, so um, I'm going to enjoy a bit of time with them, but I'll watch a little bit of the game, but I like to listen to it on the Makita radio out in the shed. (laughs) (laughs) Beautifully done. Jez Dermott here. Congratulations, mate, on making another grand final. You've got a shot at winning one here. I mean, it's almost repeating what the guys say, but are you pinching yourself? Um, There's a little bit of that. There's um, definitely... I wouldn't say I'm surprised um, that we're in this position. You know, we've worked extremely hard over a couple of years. Last year didn't go our way, as we all know. But, um, you know, we went back to the drawing board at the start of this this season, changed a few things up, and it's been really exciting the way we've sort of played and uh, backed ourselves in. Um, And then on top of that, having some younger players come through, um, like DK down back, has stood up for us all year. Um, Zach Guthrie... Awesome again last night. Um, and then, you know, even guys like through the midfield, Axe has been thrown in there um, and playing some really good footy in around the midfield. So overall, you know, I guess you could say we're pinching ourselves a bit, but at the same time, this is what we've worked so hard for and, and we're just excited to have an opportunity to try and win it. When you were so soundly beaten in last year's prelim, that's 83 points, which is a remarkable contrast 12 months on. Did you have any private moments where you worried, oh, have I arrived just at the end of times at Geelong? Nah, certainly not. I haven't. Um, I've been asked that a few times, and it's something that just doesn't cross my mind at all. You know, I don't know if it's because I don't think about footy, you know, a hell of a lot. Um, but I knew there was definitely improvement in the group. You know, even coming back day one of pre-season and just seeing the hunger in the older guys, um, you know, if that's something that you could lose after, you know, if you're well into your 30s, um, you, you've been soundly beaten, like you've mentioned, in, in a prelim. Um and then coming back and seeing them in the mood they were to just get to work, you know, it, it makes you want to be better again. And then on top of that, the younger guys just um, improving each and every week is, is, is special. So um, it's not something I definitely thought about at the time. Um, I just wanted to get better and, and personally have a better season than what I had last year. I, I'm loath to all to turn to stats and, and use them as the, you know, the be all and end all, but as a, reference point they can give you a good solid grounding of the season had 
You're on 63 goals. Tom's on 64. And Tyson Stengel is on 49. And it, it's fair to say he'll, get, he'll crack the 50 next week. That is some sort of forward line with potency uh, that gets three players above 50 goals. I saw you talking to him last night, really instructing young Tyson. As the mobile key forward in that forward line, what do you want from him specifically that you instruct him like that? Yeah, we, he's, Tyson's another one that I, I missed earlier. Um, another young player that's just really stood up each and every week. And um, what he brings is, is slightly different to the other small forwards. You know, he, he can play a bit deeper the goal. Um, he's so crafty around goal. But, um, you know, I was just having a word to Tyson around how he started the game. He started, I thought he started really well. Um, he, he brings a lot of heat. And when he brings that heat and pressure around the ball, wonderful things happen. And, and off the back of that, he, he scores and kicks goals for us. Um, so it's just, yeah, pumping his tyres up a little bit and, and making sure that he's confident in his game and he, and he keeps backing himself in. It's a pleasure to watch. Jez, I mean, with Geelong and everyone looks at Geelong and their consistency over the last 10 years and they say, everyone will say, oh, they're great decision makers. They use the ball well. They make good decisions, whether they go fast or slow in a methodical way, they can move the ball really, really well. Does, does, does opposition teams or opposition supporters underestimate the amount of run that you guys have in your team? I mean, you see it firsthand, and you've, you've come there, and it's your, your second year. Do they underestimate how much run Geelong actually has? Um, I'm not sure if they underestimate it, but I know the boys um, cover the ground extremely well. And, and coming back to sort of our high forwards and, and what they do has been enorm- enormous. Um, I feel like myself and Hawk and, and Tyson now get spoken about a lot, but our other small forwards are just as important. Um, I thought last night, close to him, Brian Myers' game was just outstanding. Um, goal assist after goal assist and, and kicked a few themselves. And, and it's a credit to them and the amount of work that they do um, tied in with our wingers and, and, and midfielders. So um, I don't, I'm not sure if other teams underestimate us, but um, we certainly um, back ourselves in in what we do. Jeremy, you probably won't say anything because you don't want it to backfire, but I think your game right now is at the emotionally and knowledge-wise is the best I've ever seen. Your ability to find the space, work out the moment, the the, the half-trigger moment upfield of when to go, when to lead, is at the best it's ever been. And it's colliding with a time when your body looks really, really spot-on cherry ripe. Do Do you feel that you are on top of these things, which they've all got to come together at once for the peak of your career. Do you feel like you're in that sweet spot? I feel like I've been working towards that, Dermy. Yeah, it's, um, you know, I think first and foremost, last last season I wanted to, um, or over the off-season, sorry, work on my body and make sure that's cherry ripe. And then from there you can get to training and, and train hard and, and tweak things and, that's what I'm still continuing to do. Um, it's been great to feed off Hawk, use him as a bit of a mentor. Um, when it comes to sort of improving, it's, it's been enormous for my, my growth. Um, and, and, yeah, it's, it's something I've always tried to improve on, just that um, knowledge, of, knowledge of the game and, and reading the play and what's unfolding up the field.
Jeremy, Sam Edmund here. Congratulations, mate, on last night. I wanted to ask you about the, the medical department down there at Geelong, and, and Chris constantly praises them almost on a weekly basis. Now, I know you had multiple hamstring issues last year, a little scare late this season, but it appears as though this campaign has been timed to the minute. Can you give us some insight in regards to that? Yeah, they put in an enormous amount of work, um, that's for sure. Uh, they've been awesome for me. Um, we had a really... Really um, solid um, foundation put in place um, so we could, you know, grow off that in terms of my hamstrings. You know, Steve Saunders is down there uh, working very hard and um, we, we put a few things in place with the whole medical staff and, um, you know, on how I can improve and just become really confident in my body. And there's a few different things I do each and every week to make sure that I'm cherry ripe and, um, once I tick the boxes there, then I know I'm good to go. So, um, yeah, they've been they've been huge for me, and um, I can't can't thank them enough for you know getting me into this position. And now, be honest, when Chris was choosing her to rest last night, were you happy to come off? <laughs> um, <laughs> it was funny because um, Hawk was Hawk was meant to play really really deep, and, and um, I look up and he's already on the bench, and I think she sat there for 20 minutes. So then I went back deep and um, found myself about 150 metres away from the ball in the last quarter, uh, and then and then I got dragged off. So um, I think my metres per minute and the GPS dude might be a little bit upset with my performance in the last quarter. <laughs> and, and just last one from me, this Jezza cave, if we can call it that. I know you kicked seven against North earlier this year after a big week painting the house. So can we anticipate there's lots of construction? I mean, what's in the cave this week? Uh, I've got a bar fridge going in. I just got the bench top um, fitted. I had a um, good mate, um, yeah, do that for me, and it's come up bloody beautiful. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the, I won't be doing too much. I, Joel Sellers already got in my ear this morning, just about um, construction yes. and how minimal he wants me to do this week. So um, I'll knock a bit off today, and then then I think I'm up to Melbourne for the Brownlow Sunday anyway. So that'll keep me. Uh, if you have paint under the fingernails again on Sunday night at the Brownlow, will be another giveaway. <laughs> yeah, the boys hey, pull me up on it all the time. <laughs> Jeremy, there's an, there's an old saying in the truckers' world, and it's when you reach the crest of the hill and you come down the other side, they call it the Georgia Overdrive. You take your foot off the accelerator and you just roll downhill. I think that was your last quarter. <laughs> <laughs> it might have been, yeah. It's probably, if I, if I look at it, in terms of the GPS point of view, to be the most embarrassing quarter I've ever played, I reckon. Um, but, yeah, it was, um, you know, credit to the guys getting it done, um, you know, up to that point in time anyway. So I'm looking forward to having a really good week on the track and, and like I said, soaking it all in. I heard that we're maybe going down the parades on the river. Is that right? That's mm. going to be a bit interesting. Um, I do love line in, It's not the... Um, boat, Jess? Yeah. <laughs> I've spoken the danger about it. Um, could be on the on the cards, but um, it's not the cleanest water I've ever seen. But I'm excited to um, roll down there in front of um, in, in front of the fans. So that grand final experience, Jeremy, you had it in 2019 under Leon. You kicked the first goal that day. Did, I'm just curious. At the end of it, when it is, it's a significant disappointment. At the end, did you leave sort of vowing I'll get back here one day, or what? What's your mindset around grand finals from the one experience you've had? Yeah, for sure. It's um, 
yeah, I clearly remember that day being so disappointed with the fellas. Um, you know, fantastic of achievement, achievement getting there. But um, yeah, you you want to win it all, and and yeah, I certainly wanted to get back um, to that day and have another crack at it. So very um, thankful to be able to you know enjoy um, you know the week building up to it, knowing that we we are going to take place in that grand uh, this grand final and. Um, yeah, try and make the most of it but the best we can. So it's exciting. Um, we just need to go in confident and, and, and play our style. Almost too scared to ask, Jez, but will you have our call on on the Makita radio in the shed this afternoon? We've got Leon as part of it. <laughs> What's that, sorry? Will you have our call on on the Makita radio in the oh, shed this Arvo? I think I might have to now, fellas. Uh, make sure you're nice and sharp, Leon. <laughs> Good on you, bud. We will. We will. Good stuff. <laughs> we'll see you next Saturday, Jeremy. Congratulations and thanks for your time. Yeah, appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me on. Yes, well, well done, done, mate. Well done. Awesome. Is he made for grand final day, Leon? Yeah, yes. I mean, uh, he was he was one of those players banged up going into 19. And, um, I mean, Derm's right. He's, everything's coming together. His body's in great shape. He had a bad year last year with all his hamstrings. He's emotionally invested. We laugh about the off-field, but yeah. that's him. Um, that's him. That's yeah. him. He'll yep. go home into his man cave. That's his <laughs> happy spot. And I'm pretty sure Chris Scott will go on. That's fine. And Joel Searle will be going, not too much painting, not too much building, <laughs> as long as you're ready to go for next Saturday. What is standing in great stead that I've seen in the last two games is the first quarter against the Magpies. Mm. He was the one in the forward half for Geelong in a final, high-pressure final, who won the ball when it was on the backman's terms. And that says, I'm good to go. It doesn't matter how the ball comes in. I'm having an effect on this game. Yeah. yeah. Classic Sydney. The sun's out, but the rain is falling. It justifies the curator's decision to put the covers on a little while ago. So there's a delay in play. We're looking at 4.45. What was the famous old groundsman here that he's always referred to in the cricket? He kicked me off once. <laughs> Did he? Yes. Yeah, you could only train at the designated times. If you wanted to, as a Swans player, if you wanted to go for kick to kick out here in the middle of the day, get off, son. <laughs> get <laughs> off. We'll get Leon Cameron and Dermot Brereton to break down that preliminary final last night and tell you the how and the why, and then we'll assess the Brisbane Lions' trajectory. So what have they gone? Fifth, fourth, fifth, fourth is how to make the breakthrough. Are they capable in what they've got of one day finding that way to a grand final and pursuing the premiership dream that they would have? That's ahead on Crunch Time. The award-winning Crunch Time. And I think we're probably, we are probably proud as a club of things that you wouldn't even be aware of. Um, but we don't want to be that club either, you know, blowing our own trumpet. We just want to, if it doesn't work out for us, we just want to go, come back together in November and have another crack. And I think that's one thing that our whole club's done well over a period of time is just say to our people, we're going to have a crack. You know, we're not going to roll over. And it might not work. And, you know, you might be disappointed. You've got to take that emotional risk. But we're going to, we're going to have a go. We continue our Friday night preliminary final breakdown for Werribee Isuzu Utes. Upgrade your old Ute into D-Max now. They are paying top dollar for trade-ins. Dermot Burton and Leon Cameron. So take us to the game. How did, how did it transpire that it was just so lopsided? Well, I thought it was wonderful that the opening couple of minutes, 
everybody expected Lockie Neal to be the king of clearance, and he was, and they still couldn't get value for money. He was just enormous in those opening moments. And the, still the most clearance, centre-bounce clearances for the game, Lockie Neal, and he did what he did. And then Danger steps in. And, you know, some people say, oh, look, you're just going for the obvious ones. His game was extraordinary. And you know what? He played 75% game time. It's, that's equivalent of just coming off at three-quarter time and still being best on ground. 75% game time. Mm. And he, he dominated every statistic on the ground. Kicked the first goal. Was the most... He was the contested beast in the middle of the ground. He... I won't say swung it because they only, you know, got the first goal, but he absolutely made sure that it was heading their direction. The game's in great nick, Geelong, on top of that. For me, the Lions, and we discussed it off air before we came on, we'll raise a few issues here. They were incapable of scoring, and they had to score if they were going to put some acid on Geelong. I don't think Geelong ever said, whoa. They never had a moment where they went, whoa, this could push us a bit here. Even when the score was two, three goals gap, they looked like they knew what they were doing. They were comfortable. The pressure applied. They said, they can't stand up to this. We keep doing what we're doing. They will not be able to stand up to this. A few things with Brisbane's game. They still they have some backmen who are committed to the task, but they don't mark the ball in the back half of the ground. And, and if so, the wrong players mark it. And it's not a true intercept mark like a Jeremy McGovern, like a Jake Lever who will jump high and take it. Um, I'm probably going a little bit far ahead here, but I, I would even look at someone like Essendon's, if you're looking for... Um, chalk and cheese and you know rags to riches I'd look at Francis for a mess and I know the competitiveness is an issue but they've got to find somebody who can jump above a pack and mark the ball in the back line even last week they were outnumbering key forwards against Melbourne two on one and still fisting the ball now that's great for the golden fist and we all hear that and have a laugh but you've got to mark the ball if you've got the numbers Geelong do it Melbourne do it as the team that won the Premiership last year, Brisbane do not do it. They always defend with fist in the air. So they need to find something there. They need What we were talking about before was their inability to score and not even look threatening in the forward half when they brought Danaher back in. I won't throw it all on Joe, but he changed them back into a pedestrian-paced forward line. They've got a few issues there. How do they score better? Are they deep enough once Lyon goes out of that team in the midfield? For, for not second string, your, your B-plus midfielders to go through there and keep the pressure up. So they've got some issues, personnel issues. If they want to improve on this year, and we're talking about improvement of 71 points in next year's preliminary final, if they want to improve. Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah... Credit to Geelong. I mean, I think... They're bloody good. Absolutely. And sometimes we analyse it to death. And we're trying to look for everything. But Geelong are just bloody good. They're, they've got every line covered. Like you just said, what Brisbane are looking for, they've got. They'll mark it in their back end, and they can kick it. Their midfield is deep because they're throwing in so many different numbers. I mean, that's Atkins. 
Like it's yeah. we under we talked to Jeremy, but this this young fella who's twenty five, twenty six, done it the hard way, tackling machine as a VFL player, gets his opportunity to get into Geelong's list what four or five years ago. Half back flanker, little bit of half forward, goes into the midfield. Just unbelievable Beast. story. Yeah. And then they've wrapped Holmes and I know Isaac Smith is a different level in terms of where they are in their career. And then Stengel and Close, I mean, um, Myers, I mean, all these guys that play. But that not only can they play really good football, they can run. They've and they run. Engines. They've got massive engines, and people underestimate that. So they can go all day. Their win against Collingwood a few weeks ago, although they only just got there, that wouldn't have happened last year for Geelong or the year before if they didn't add the flavour that they've added. Yes, they've changed a little bit of their style of play, and, and, and they'll move the ball a little bit quicker. Um, and they'll be a little bit more daring through the middle of the ground because they can, um, but they are a, a, a complete side, and they've added players strategically and probably found out about some players like young Guthrie, who's having a great year. De Koning, did they think that he was going to come on that quick? Who knows? Holmes, as we mentioned. So credit where credit's due, they're in a very, very good spot, and they deserved everything they got because they executed everything and their ability to go from one end of the ground to the other you can either you can comment on this you can go are Geelong just too good at taking the ball from one end of the ground to the other and scoring or were Brisbane poor in defense team defense there's probably a little bit of both that lives in the middle um, Brisbane have probably been accused of that and struggled a little bit of that throughout the back end of the year um, but Geelong have been fantastic I, I think on the flip side with Brisbane though they can make some quick fixes. They've got a young kid coming in in Will Ashcroft who's going to be the, the Nick Dacus of this year. And they need it in the in the area they need it the most. And they need someone to help ride shotgun with Lockie Neal. Now, I don't know where Lyon is at. I think, you know, he's been a really good servant. He's got bad groins, He's is got it? bad groins. Yeah. But I think they need to do what... Geelong have done and look at the run around that whether that's a young developing Robertson who we've just seen in the back end of the finals adding a, an Ashcroft there's talk that Dunkley might be in the play now people look at Dunkley and go okay why is he leaving the ball he's got a massive motor huge motor he'll run all day and so complimenting Neil with a young kid of Ashcroft and and whether Robertson can come in if all of a sudden that's a new look Brisbane midfield that are trying to get over this hump from fourth and fifth and fourth and fifth to say, well, we can go longer now. We can go longer and we can move the ball equally as good in the first quarter as in the last quarter because these guys just get up and down the ground. They need some run in their midfield and I totally agree with you, Derm, on an intercept marker. Um, Andrews, as brave as he is and he's, you know, he's a good defender, he's got the long arm of the law going. It's great reach. Yeah. Gardner as well, but very rarely will you just go and see pluck. Now, they're missing Adams. Adams likes to mark the ball first rather than spoiling it, so they're missing him. And But having there's an X factor with marking it. If you mark it and then make a great decision and go quick or you go in a methodical way with your feet or your hands, the best sides have one or two in their side. Yeah, Stewart, he not just marks it. He then goes, righto, yeah, I'm going quick because I can sense the moment. No, no. No, they're set. I'll go slow, and then I'll still find a way to start up our chain. They, they, they don't get that from Gardner or Andrews. And, you know, young Payne was playing there as well. And so trying to add one of those players is the hardest thing. If you could get that in the draft or in the trade period, that 
adding to their midfield is their priority. Two things on the back of that. You mentioned how good Geelong are um, endurance-wise. Now, you think back to Richmond 2017. Teams feared the running prowess of their three small forwards and only one key forward in Jack Revolt. And the second key forward was, was just Caddy. So they feared their mobility. They feared their ability to run out a game and run you off your legs. And I always felt that Geelong's game style of recent years protected their inability to run out a game. Hey, Mm. go slow. We don't have to just go at breakneck speed. They do go at breakneck speed now because they can run teams off their legs Mm. and they're conditioned beautifully. So that's the benefit. I'm going to ask you to emotionally... Take a step down from your senior coaching duties and become the forward line coach for Brisbane. What are you what are you looking at? Oh, I've got the no, finger I'm to gonna, hold on. I'm gonna give you three <laughs> minutes to contemplate that. Yeah. That is a question with notice. Yes, okay. For Brisbane's forward line. Yeah. We'll put Leon Cameron's coaching mind. Good when the principal comes in, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to Crunch Time, our Friday night footy discussion from the preliminary final is for Werribee Isuzu Ute. They make buying cars easy. The award-winning crunch time. Yeah, although I think we now know the right formula to win finals matches. It sounds silly me saying that tonight because we 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 got a hiding tonight. But the previous two weeks against the teams like Richmond and, and Melbourne, who have been great finals teams over the last few years, um, uh, we showed that we could we could match it with them and, and and play the right brand, play at the intensity, play with the right mindset. Um, we're running into a brick wall tonight, but but we'll take a fair bit of confidence from from those two previous weeks. Um, particularly when we came in as the, the the rank underdogs, I don't think anyone th- thought we'd win a final this year. So it's, um, it's a great show of mental toughness that we we're able to do that. But we couldn't get it done tonight, so a little step backwards. Chris Fagan, two meritorious finals wins and then, in his word, a hiding in a preliminary final. Welcome back to Crunch Time for Suzuki. When adventure calls, the new Suzuki S-Cross is the answer. Dermot Burton has posed the question to Leon Cameron to put himself as the forward coach at the Lions and what to do, what to do. Well, going forward, Derm, I think um, knowing that we think the McStay is going as that free agent to the Pies... And they've had a want to play three tall forwards, Mustay so, being one of them. Okay, so I've come in. I'm the new forward line coach. I would probably... And I, at the Giants, I like the three talls, but one of those talls was Jeremy, who was dynamic. Yeah. And Harry Himmelberg was the other. Yeah. Both dynamic. Jeremy's like a hybrid yeah, play. He just yeah. happens to be six foot five. Yeah, exactly yeah. right. All of... Brisbane's talls are 200 centimetres. McStay's 196, but the other two are 200 centimetres. Yeah. Joe Danaher and Hipwood. But he plays like a key position. Yeah. yeah. Oh, look, I think there's a great opportunity, like everything. I think, just listening to Fags then, they, two of their two finals wins were awesome. To win a, a real nail-biter against the, the Tigers at home and then to come to the MCG, which has been a tough hunting ground for them, They'll take that into next preseason. I know they've been hovering around that fourth and fifth mark, but I just think they've got a great opportunity to change it up and change it up by going in with two, Hipwood and Danaher. Look at those two players, put everything into those two players and develop them to be the stronger, 
big man players that you want them to be and surround them with the Charlies and the Zach Baileys, okay, and these smaller players and maybe add another half, high half forward flanker. Sydney Swans, Haywood. Is there yeah. another Haywood out there in the draft who's done his apprenticeship really, really well? He's got a massive motor. He covers the ground. He's good in the air and he's dynamic. And so can they add another dynamic player to their li- like they probably had through no fault of their own when Danaher pulled out the week before against Melbourne? An unpredictable forward line. So I would probably be going with those two um, and adding four sort of speedy sort of players around them. And along the way, pressure. you're going to get more exposure into Fullerton as well, who yeah. showed some signs last week. Just got a text from a bloke who knows his footy. He said Tom Mitchell would be the perfect fit for for Brisbane to give Lockie Neal a chop yeah. out at the stoppage. And and Tom's made some noises, I think, about mm. I'm open to offers. Yeah, look, no doubt. I mean, he's a terrific player. Unbelievable. Brownlow medalist. I mean, he's reached the highest peak and he's unbelievably good with his hands. Trains really, really hard. Yep. If I'm sitting there, though, as the midfield coach, yep. I, I think Brisbane need run. Now, they're yeah. going to get it with the young fella in Ashcroft. If they can add a high half-forward flank player that's got enormous aerobic capacity, get up and back with a touch of class. Now, it's easy to say, hard to do. Can they get in the draft? Is there in the trade? I would be more leaning towards the young kid that comes in, Josh Dunkley, if they're after him, because Josh has got that ability to run all day. And a line runner. And it helps Brisbane's defensive woes. Now, Chris Fagan will be sitting there every week, and he's probably been accused of what's going on defensively. But if you can't cover the ground, you can't play great defence. All the time. You can get away with it by smart players. I remember Sam Mitchell at Hawthorne was outstanding and Hodgie was just outstanding. Their leadership and their positioning to take up really good spots and instruct and talk to Hawthorne was unbelievably good. But then they added Isaac Smith and Brad Hill around them to complement their lack of run. But their leadership was outstanding. If Brisbane have got Lockie Neal in there and some you know, really good, hard, honest players, how can they add a couple of runners to complement their defensive structure, which they probably lacked a little bit in the back half of the year? So there is a path for the Brisbane Lions, uh, and a bit will depend on what they acquire. Sam Edmund, the, the, all the talk this morning, obviously, around Max Holmes, and if he's not available, who mm. comes in? Sam Menegola was absent last night in the sh- in the crowd shots. Where- where's Sam Menegola? Oh, it's an amazing anecdote, this one, Jared. because you're right. He looms as Exhibit A for the replacement if Max doesn't get up. Now, the rumours have been swirling over the last 24 hours or so that Sam Menegola is a disgruntled figure down at Cadinia Park. He missed. He wasn't sighted at training on Thursday. Didn't sit with his teammates who also missed out at the game last night. So all sorts of rumours swirling. Now, it turns out that he trained indoors on Thursday, so wasn't sighted, and then had a bout of gastro, or gastro-like symptoms on Friday morning. Now, he was listed as an emergency, but he had improved by yesterday afternoon. So he drove to the MCG, sat in his car for hours to separate him from his teammates, and then when he learned he wasn't required, drove home. So the exact opposite is true. What a clubman. Drove all the way up to the G, sat in the car for a couple of hours, then went home. Sammy, were you starting those rumours? No, no, absolutely not, Leon. You know, I don't do that. But what we do do is we, we fact-check. So we wanted to put that to the decision-makers at, uh, at Geelong, who, uh, and I'm glad we did because uh, that's a fair effort from Sam Menegola. That re- reminds me of Chris Langford was left out of the 83 Premiership team 
for Hawthorne, and he watched it from the beach at Blairgowrie. <laughs> he just said, no, I'm not going now. <laughs> Went on to playing four flags. So Sam's probably in the car finishing his trip home when he hears the fate of Max Holmes and goes, yeah. oh, right. So yeah. th- this is going to make for a really interesting seven days. Mm, so right. Sam Edmund with the latest on Sam Menegola there. We'll turn our attention to the SCG, who will fill the billing against the Cats in the 2022 Grand Final. Will it be the Swans or the Pies? This is Crunch Time. Welcome to Crunch Time. Crunch time for Suzuki. When adventure calls, the all-new Suzuki S-Cross is the answer. Geelong's 71-point winners over the Brisbane Lions. They are the first team into the 2022 Grand Final. They will meet either the Sydney Swans or Collingwood. Dermot Brereton and Leon Cameron in place. Jared Waitley and Sam Edmund with you as well. Do Geelong run favourites no matter what from here, Dermot? Yes. Yep. You'd expect these two tonight, uh, this late this afternoon, Sydney and Collingwood, to the old the old cliche of Geelong sit back and hope they knock the, the bejesus out of each other, but they will take a bit of steam out of each other. Um, and, yeah, they were coasting down the hill for 40 minutes of that game last night without the foot on the accelerator, Geelong. So they've had a perfect run in. They know what the, 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 the hurly-burly of it is. You can say, oh, have they been hardened enough? Yeah. Yeah, they're professional enough now to know the hardness required on the big day. They, they're cherry ripe. Have you got, if you're Chris Scott, Leon, and you're sitting down to watch it on telly this afternoon, are you fearing one more than the other in prospects? Or a bit like the rest of it, it's it's six one way, half a dozen the other? No, it is. I think, uh, I think Chris Scott's probably sitting there going, hopefully they build each other. I mean, if you actually look at it, Geelong and Collingwood games are always close this year. I mean, he'll be sitting there thinking, took an enormous effort to get over them a couple of weeks ago. They played Sydney up here when Franklin, you know, broke that record. But Geelong were in the game. They just didn't put it on the scoreboard in the front half. Um, And Sydney are on top of their game as well. So there's no easy opponent. Whoever wins this game thoroughly deserves to go up against it. But Geelong will go in as a pretty strong favourite. And Sam, do you know, is, is the coaching staff likely to come to Sydney to have a look? No, they're not. So Chris Scott will stay put today, Jared. Uh, just the, that C word. We can't forget it, COVID. The risk is considered too great for the coach to travel, so they'll keep a close on it from back down here in Melbourne or Victoria. All right. Well, what is in store for us tonight? I feel like it is, this has been the most, the most magnificent season. I think it's the best season this century. Hmm. This feels like the most anticipated game of all. Now, whether it lives up to that, who's to say, but it just feels that way in prospects. I, I was talking to someone during the week, and and it's like Sydney last nine weeks, and people, because they're off-Broadway, and I get to, you know, I, I'm lucky to see them six times live. Um, we talked about run for Brisbane and Geelong, Sydney have got 13 elite runners out of their 22, in their 22. They run all day. Wings covered. Five of their back seven have got massive motors. Four of their front half have got huge motors in their midfield now. You know, it's probably not as much run, but Mills has got the biggest. But they, they go all day. Eight weeks ago, they were 10th in contest and stoppages. They're now ranked number two. Eight weeks ago, they were the best pressure side. They're still the best pressure side. Their best team defence side. 
So every part of their game is intact. There's not there's not one part that you go, Sydney Swans will struggle going looking at the statistics of them at the moment in their last eight or nine weeks. And so they are absolutely primed and ready to go. It's like the when you did year twelve, Jared, and you just studied and studied and studied <laughs> and you just ticked off exam number one, exam number two, exam number three, exam number four, and you got to exam number five. And there's a cheeky kid beside you that either cheated his way through and looked at your notes or is just this freakish talent that can just pop in and go, righto, oh, I know this, here we go. That is Collingwood. That is Collingwood to Sydney today. Sydney statistically should win this game by five or six goals. But But Collingwood, But Collingwood have got this unbelievable bravery to go through the middle of the ground Freakish decision makers. They've got four of them. The Pendlebury, the Goey, and the two Dacos brothers that make up stuff on the run and just turn opportunities into scoring. So Sydney could dominate for 20 minutes in one of the quarters and score one goal, and Collingwood, five minutes, could kick three. And so how do you sum that up? It's the most beautiful analogy. And in this analogy, Dermot, you are Collingwood. <laughs> You're the cheek that was you, Dermot. Who yeah. just walked in and aced the exam. Oh, uh, look, yeah, I can't see this being a double-figure margin. That Both teams are able to shut down on the flick of a switch. And both teams can flick on the switch again and go all-out attack. Last time we were here, we heard Fly say, and I thought it was excellent... Um, management of the the mindset of Collingwood to say, I got my coaching uh, aspects wrong. He put it back on himself. And so the players hear that and say, you know what, we're all in it together. Yeah, we are better than that loss. And I think, you know, it was a few handful of goals. It was like they played conservatively for Collingwood, predominantly conservatively for three quarters. And then at the first bounce of the final quarter, they were rampant, Collingwood. And when uh, Majacek got smothered just down, trying to sneak around and get a run-in goal off the point post, Sydney's defence was awesome. That was, their, that was their run dashed at that moment. I think what Fly's talking about is we've got to be brave enough to take it on helter-skelter a lot earlier than the opening, the first bounce in the fourth quarter. We have to fatigue them. We have to put them to the sword and have to play our brand of football instead of trying to pace ourselves because the ground is a different dimension. And I've heard words saying it doesn't make a difference. It does make a difference on both sides. Having played out here many, many times on the SCG, it's a different ground for a forward. It's difficult to play as a forward unless you have nutted it out. So players who love to play that key position forward, you're starting two or three metres inside the forward 50 normally, you can hit the wings. Here, if you start there, you're actually up at the back flank by the time you meet the ball on that type of searching lead. You have to start as a key forward 25 metres out. You have to drag everything back or accept that I'm going to be deep into the back line on my leads and hit-ups, and you start inside the centre square in general play. It's a different ground. So, yes, they will have to play differently, and the teams that have, you know, you've got boys out there that have played here once before 
for Collingwood. It'll take some acclimatising uh, uh, for some of these boys to get used to this ground again. But it's different, and I expect them to be able to, as you called it, Leon, they will, they've got every reason to lose here today, Collingwood. But they'll push it. They'll mm. push it to a single figure, and it won't be over. It'll be red time until yes. we say there's a winner here. Especially if what you said, they learn from what happened and they go for it from the time the ball is bounced at the start of the game. Not get stuck on the boundary, force long down the line, Sydney gets set. Because they have to try to fatigue the Swans. Now, that'll take an enormous effort because I've said the Swans have got huge ability to run and go all day. But I'm trying to... They have to mentally try to fatigue them and say, well, we're, gee, we're in good shape. That's we're in great well. shape. Yeah. And so if Collingwood go, well, geez, we've just got some freakish piece of play. Dacos on the back flank. He goes inside. It doesn't look perfect, but it's come off. Pendery picks it up. He lays it off to Crisp, and Crisp finds something, and they've scrambled a goal. Mentally fatigue Sydney. Physically, you mightn't be able to, but mentally fatigue, and then all of a sudden the doubt starts to come in. What have we got here? What is going on here? We, we're doing everything right, and they have. Sydney have done everything right. And what probably happens at this time of year, we're always trying to find the underdog to try to beat the favourite. Um, that's what happens. Yeah. And But this underdog is a different underdog. This is not a oh yeah, an underdog story where they've had heartaches and heartbreaks and whatever, injuries, and they've got their backs against the wall. This is an underdog because they're just an unpredictable underdog. And we're in a coliseum that's an unpredictable ground. So this is the great thing about the game. I was thinking during the week, and allow me to be that cheeky pupil in school. Well, you don't have to allow you, mate. <laughs> yeah. So. Jordan Degoe's form is that good at the moment. I'm actually starting to believe he really did train seriously hard in Bali. He had a couple of bad moments, <laughs> but I reckon he must have trained the house down in Bali. He's going that well. He... Gets the ball in positions now when he's roadblocked and tackled. And they've got a great bead on him. The crosshairs are on him. They've got two hands on him. And they're taking him down. He gets through to the other side, Dusty Martin style. And that's where the ball should stop. No prior ball it up or free kick against. Took too long. No, he steamrolls the bloke and is rolling Collingwood's way. His form is that good at the moment. Derm, does he... uh analogy of the robots will get you there, but the scallywags will win it for you. <laughs> yes, I haven't heard that for a while, but yeah. He's Jordan DeGoey. He's, he's the scallywag. He's the scallywag, and so all of a sudden, he's the Dusty Martin that comes in and goes, probably doesn't do everything to the letter. Plays wild. Plays a bit wild, and, and that's what we have here at the moment. Yeah. Well, the, if your teammates are struggling with you playing wild, the opposition most certainly are. Mm. Uh, he, he is... In insane form at the moment. I hope he turns it on today. I, I can't see anyone but Mills playing on him mm. today. He's the one who has the most power for their run with players. And he's not exactly a lockdown player anymore. He wins his own foot in. He's in exceptional form himself. But he's the one who I would trust to say, curtail him. Mm. Have your own effect, but you've got to curtail him as well. Could this be the last day of Buddy under a certain circumstance, Dermot? It could. Lance Lance is writing his own legend. Uh, and talk about players playing wild. Uh, uh, Lance's life is a bit wild as well. Um, mm. 
tremendous fellow. Just a, he's he's going to be written up. It, it, we're going to tell our grandkids, yeah, we saw Lance. Yeah, we, we played. We're out in the same field in, as him. And in 25 years' time, yeah. he'll be on stage becoming a legend. Yeah. Having been the Hall of Famer for a couple of decades. I, I yeah. think I think it's a, it's, a, it's a really interesting question and we will, you know, it's a great discussion. If they went all the way, I think it could be. I mean, he loves football. I mean, Dan, you love football. But some, there's a time when your body's... It comes to an end. I can't tell you that, but he clearly he's not in the shape. Sorry, he can't do what he wants to do like he did th- yeah. two or three years ago. But I think this game, he will come in, and this is another story that we're talking about. He will have uh, a certain amount of venom in his makeup because of the last game he played. He will absolutely not like. The talk amongst that Lance Franklin was kept goalless at the MCG yeah, on a big by stage. Stephen yeah. May on a big stage. He comes back to his home ground, which clearly, if they get a little bit of flow and he's naught to 30 out, he can cause some damage. I think we'll see some, some good things. The one thing I'd say for in Lance's favour is the style of player that you would want to play on Lance in Lance, Lance's current physical state the best player of that style of player in the land is Stephen May. He copped the best player to play against his style hmm. in the peak of his career, and that's Stephen May last week, uh, two weeks ago. So he copped the worst possible player to meet in his this this stage of his career. So don't think he's completely finished and, and whitewashed and he's he's a he's a burden to the team and a burden to himself running out there. He's quite likely to do some Lance things today. Hmm. He won't be you know, bouncing it six times and having somebody chase him while he kicks one from the flank, you know, thirty five metres out. But he just might make a couple of snaps, a couple of things that we go, good on you, bud. Mm. And we say, wow, just, just wound it back for those moments. And he might get a two or three today mm. because he hasn't got a Stephen May playing on him today. Yep. Leon, if you were voting, or maybe you did get a vote with the Coaches Association, would you have Craig McRae as your coach of the year? He would be The field would be Craig McRae, Chris Scott, John Longmire and Justin Longmuir, I think. Uh, the the enormous effort that they've come from seventeenth to fourth, you probably think that he would have to get that, even if they didn't come through today. It's always hard this one, Jared, because you know, Alistair Clarkson's never won no. a Coach of the Year. <laughs> yeah, I know. And he's won four flags because it's always seen. And I feel like feel for John Longmire and and um, and Chris Scott. And I was. Um, Do you give the nod to whoever wins today? Well, yeah, I mean, Longmire and the Swans have come phenomenal. from have come from unbelievably like we upset them last year in a final, and they were shattered. And but the year before they were fifteenth, and that was like this rebuild that might take three or four years. And look what happens here; they're going to be currently right now their second favourite to win the flag behind Geelong, and uh, it's a huge hurdle today. So I think it's a phenomenal effort. Um, the criteria is the one. I think it should nearly come from the two grand finalists because I know there's this huge rise when someone comes from 16th or 17th and they drag a side up and Craig McRae's done an awesome job um, but I think it should come from the grand finalists and it comes from one or the other And because 
it's a fantastic effort what John's done. If you were on the that selection panel, would you take into account the media performance of the coach as well? Because mm. McRae's been superb yeah. in the yeah. media. I think we all fall in love with a new coach of a certain demeanour, and he yeah. has openness. Been that, yeah, because we've had. So Chris Scott's first year was 2011, and he won it. And John Longmire's second year was 2012, and he won it. We're, we're well versed in those two, but yep. there's just a. He has the most delightful way about him, and it is unique. There's a touch of him coaching as a senior coach talks to his teammates. Yeah. Yeah, there is. He's protective of them as the astute elder statesman in the team, and he's not divorcing himself from his team. And take, for instance, Alan Jeans, I still think is the greatest coach that I know has ever breathed there. Yet he divorced himself from the team. He would never allow himself to socialise. He'd have a joke with them, but it was always at the team members' expense. He could could cut you down with humour. But there was always that division between playing group and and coaching. It seems like McRae doesn't have that division. Hence he said, that was on me. I coached poorly last time we were here. He put it on him, so he put himself the equal of his players. If you take out the newbie person on the block, Chris Scott needs to win the coach of the year. I mean, if they win next week. Mm. Now, if John Longmire gets there and he wins, then he needs to win the coach of the year. But it's a fascinating philosophy of going, okay, we judge on first-year coach. Clearly... Craig McRae is, and Collingwood should be absolutely wrapped with what's happened because you've got on-field expertise and you've got off-field um, opening up a whole football club to a massive fan base that are absolutely in love with him, and so they should be. So, Should we have the All-Australian team and we name the coach of the year? Should we have... All-Australian line coaches. <laughs> That'd give some boys a leg up to getting a new gig, wouldn't it? They would. <laughs> Get it in your contract for a bonus. <laughs> it, it is interesting because it is voted by the senior coaches and the assistant. Mm. So it's a very pure, those mm. who are at the coalface doing the job. But it does have a leaning towards Ken Hinkley won it in the year on the mm. rise and they came up just short of Richmond. Nathan Buckley won it and they're just shaded by West Coast. Mm. So it doesn't... Uh, it it probably more often than not doesn't correlate with the premiership coach rather than nah, it does. Which, um, definitely hasn't. Does that mean that everyone thought that Hawthorne had the best list when Clarkson was coaching and so he didn't do as much as some others did to get their well, it's, team? It's just human nature at some point to assume <laughs> and, and it's not a momentous feat and yet collectively everybody in football regards Clarkson as the the genius the, coach yeah. of the era yeah. <laughs> the doyen, yeah. no one ever marked him one on the ballot paper <laughs> it's a, it's a weird one I, I'm, I feel like I'm sure McRae will win it but I'm yeah it's sounds Long like you voted no no it's it's mm. only done by the coaches, coaches. Themselves. I don't think I don't think it was in Jared. I don't previously. think it started in eight when 2008 when Clarko came from seventh to win it and so then when he started this Premiership run of three in a row, it was like, oh, well, they're, they're too good. Let's look at the underneath. Yeah. And every year, He's over in 14, yeah. 15, 16, or whenever they won, 13, 14, 15, there was this coach that came as a newbie. There was Hinkley, there was Bevo, there might have been someone else. Yeah. Yep. 
Yeah. So, Interesting. That'll be next week. At the future coaching position at Essendon has been a talking point throughout the week, Sam Edmund, once it became clear that James Hurd had been interviewed. Yep. Kane Corns sort of tellingly on Thursday said this will become a circus and not putting any judgment upon that. And then sure enough, Zach Merritt gets quoted from mm. an Essendon lunch and the quote is that James Hurd's not the right coach for us. Uh, and cue the circus. Yeah, so Zach Merritt was actually attending last Friday at Crown Casino, Jared, a women in insolvency and restructuring Victoria footy finals lunch. And now... Hang on, Sam. Yeah, hang it's on, hang on. W... Women in insolvency? And restructuring Victoria. Right. Footy finals luncheon last Friday. So the 9th of... Uh, I think the 9th of September. Um, so... In that luncheon, now we obviously weren't there, so it's hard to know how these things have been delivered in context, but he has been paraphrased as basically telling a guest at this luncheon that he did not believe James Hurd was the right choice for the club's next senior coach and that while the players would obviously make it work if the board was to back him in, he noted that it was not his preferred choice. Now, in the days to come since then, of course, James Hurd, uh, it has been revealed, is part of Essendon's subcommittee list of candidates, a, a short, a shortened list of candidates if you believe the report somewhere around half a dozen people a mix of the experienced and a mix of the inexperienced he was interviewed at the uh, Ernst and Young offices in the city earlier this week Jared uh, he got in the offices early in the morning the subcommittee working through the list of candidates that include now James Heard but Brendan Laid as well Adam Uze and a couple of others also in a in a I guess is an engagement that started earlier in the day and went the distance um, until late in the day so that is the latest state of play when it comes to the circus that is James Hurd potentially resuming again as coach of Essendon, which at the moment is a live possibility, of course. Who would have imagined the Werve lunch would become such a, an important part of the football conversation? So now that it is a, a possibility rather than theoretical, Dermot, could you see James Hurd in the, in the coach's box at Essendon next year? I made the, the comment late this week that... I can understand people saying we don't want to step backwards. But coaching now is so much about man management. And you, it, the coaches, great coaches, end up with an aura. James Hurd has that aura. He has that charisma about him. And I, and I, yeah, he's done his time for the indiscretions. I think his learning of life skills, he right now is a better placed human being than he was several years ago when he was right in the thick of the action for the wrong reasons. Um, yeah, so, so I, I can understand that and, and, and I believe that he's as, uh, better placed to be a head senior coach. The one thing I would say that somebody brought to my attention and, and knowing and speaking to so many people so often in the mental health space and it came to my life and this fellow's one of the most intelligent guys I know, I won't tell you his name, he's run companies with an EBIT of 200 million and, and staff of you know, 300 plus people. And he wrote me a long letter and he basically, I'll just read you one line from it. And he suffered, this fellow who was in charge of these companies has suffered significant mental trauma himself. And his line was, when you have had a significant mental trauma requiring serious inpatient treatment, you can never again put yourself in the line of the triggers that will see you relapse. And for somebody who I know and trust in this space, that resonated with me. I think James could be a very good coach again, 
is he doing the right thing by himself? That's crept into my mindset in the last 48 hours since reading that from somebody. As I say, he, he's not a doctor in the mental health space, but he's somebody who is incredibly intelligent and has suffered this, this, this significantly. And this was his take on it, who I know and trust. On a football front, Leon, could you see it? He's actually summed that up really well, Derm, I think. Um, for the reasons how you explained. Oh, look, I think... I, I, I can see James Hurd coaching again. Um, because we, we sat here... Well, not, not exactly here, but it was about three or four weeks ago. You talked about senior coaches. There's a level of um, confidence and quirkiness and differences of having... You know, everyone's got their own little bit. You know, you look at Chris Scott and the way he can handle a team but handle the media. And we talked about Craig McRae and John Wong. There will be a story. Alan Jeans, you've seen it. You've seen... So James, there's a mystique about him because of unbelievable superstar player, stepped straight into coaching, and then we know what happened uh, three or four years later. But there's this level of confidence. So I think he can coach again. The hardest thing I'm trying to get my head around is, is it next year? Does he need, in line with what you just said, a tester? Does he need to test himself for a couple of years beforehand? Now, he's probably sitting there thinking, well, that's my old club. He is that passionate about his football club. And he's sitting there going, what has happened to the footy club? I know I've been a part of that. I want my football club to get back to where it wants to get to. But can he test himself so he's ready for the line of fire? And I don't and, and we, we don't know that. We can't. There's no way you can test yourself unless you maybe have a couple of years, you know, as a senior assistant somewhere before testing yourself again as bulletproofing yourself for ready for the readiness for that. But my take on this is is if he's in it, he's one of five or six a chance and the six people that are judging it have to judge it on merits. This is crunch time. The award-winning crunch time. We are gearing up for today's game. Thanks to Dometic. Go on your next adventure, Dometic.com. They say Melbourne's four seasons in one day. We've watched the whole world blow through Sydney and now <laughs> hour and a half on crunch time so far. We've had heavy rain. We've had brilliant sunshine. We're in a sunshine period with heavy grey cloud overhead at the moment with the covers on the centre wicket and a rich sense of anticipation for Sydney and Collingwood. One will go on to face Geelong in the grand final. If you are coming to the footy today or indeed if you're listening from home. Grab the AFL record. It has your essential guide to the Brownlow. Detailed preview of the 2022 Brownlow medal, which is tomorrow night. The top chances at every club, which some of us do obsess over, so that's some good plane reading on the way home. And the devastated demons. The post-mortem at Melbourne has started in earnest as the demons search for the meaning behind their spectacular straight sets finals exit, which I can only imagine deepened last night watching their conquerors, Brisbane, get beaten by 71 points in a preliminary final. Most Melbourne people will feel like they should have reached um, the trade scenario. Sam Edmonds, um, it feels like we're going to crack all thresholds yeah. this this season as some of, some of the old, um, the, the tethering of the trade period, be it cultural or be it age, it feels like we're going to break 
through some ceilings and really open up player mobility even further. Yeah, I think that's right, Jared. So 12 months ago when we sat down and uh, on your show, we spoke about the tumbleweeds that were about to yeah. roll through the trade period. Well, we're, we're about to enter shootout uh, territory in this <laughs> trade period, that's for sure, because the guns are well and truly loaded. Now, you've given me the unenviable task of ranking the storylines. The I mean, five <laughs> most compelling trade storylines as they stand right now, you're going to dish them up and Dermot and Leon will, will take a, a shot at it. Well, there's no shortage of material here. So um, we'll, we'll start with Fremantle. I think it's fair to say when it comes to the Fremantle Dockers, they are grand zero for this trade period that he's going to go off with a bang. I mean, building since the start of the year too. So managers convinced, the play, managers that manage players at Fremantle convinced since, you know, March, April and May that there was a plan to bring in Luke Jackson, and so it appears to be playing out. So Colin Young is one of the more powerful player managers in the game, particularly with the Western Australian clubs. And I think he was hurt by some of the commentary about last year, that that lob trade request to GWS that came so late and couldn't be fulfilled. The same with Bobby Hill, who wanted out of GWS. Now, lob has been wanting out since then, and there have been discussions, you know, as far back as 10 to 12 months with Fremantle, indicating that they would trade him this year. So Peter Bell saying that they wouldn't sanction a trade has rocked him a fair bit so let's have a quick listen perhaps this is this is peter bell on the Fremantle website this week on the rory lob trade request uh rory uh, indicated that he was seeking a trade we had a conversation with rory where um we um, informed him that due to his contracted status and also the importance that he um has for our structure that uh, we wouldn't be able to facilitate f uh, a trade for rory so just before we reach the, the end of storyline number one on the trade space, so Rory Lobb wants to get to the dogs who have committed to him, Liam Jones as well. Now, Young also manages Griffin Logue, who was slow to get an offer, and then when he did, it was deemed unders. Blake Akers is the same, the former set for North Melbourne, the latter set for Carlton. Darcy Tucker is contracted but will depart, and the club are happy for that as much as the player. Lloyd Meek is plotting a path away from Fremantle as well with a year to run on his contract. So the queue for him is long. GWS, Melbourne, West Coast have an interest in him as well as others. So at Fremantle, Jared, there is a lot happening. And I was pretty keen to ask Leon and Derm with a big, with the unicorn coming in, if uh, if we hear that Luke Jackson referred as a unicorn one more time, I'll tell you what, but with the unicorn... I'll ban you from the trade yeah, bill if you keep using that. <laughs> the unicorn coming in, Jared. how much do they give up the other way? Is there a risk that the depth that has underpinned their campaign could be compromised? And you've got some mm. first-hand experience on the lob scenario mm. from 12 months ago, yeah. Leon. Look, I think... Um, Sam, look, it, it all depends on the length of the contract and the size of the contract for Jackson. And clearly, to, to pry him out of Melbourne, it's got to be a, a large one. And they're probably sitting there thinking, well, we don't want to be stuck in years to come. Do we have to act now? Is there another young winger? And I'll, I'll sort of go from Akers to Logue. Uh, you talked about Darcy Tucker. Those three players are probably a little bit... Um, well, Akers has had a very, very good year, but they're sitting there thinking, well, we can't pay Akers 500 because we've got to pay Jackson. We can, we've got another winger sitting underneath, or we can bring in another winger for 250. So they go, oh, well, that money needs to go to... Then they try to probably up the ante a little bit to Akers, but Akers thinks, well, no, I can get a better deal somewhere else. I've had a very good year. And there's the first sort of storyline. The second storyline will be Logue. I can't get in because Cox and Pierce and Ryan are ahead of me at the back line, and they've still got a very, very good, you know, five or six years ahead of them, those three. I'm playing this Mr. Fix-It role. How do I get to my best position? That's another storyline that then, okay, well, and I'm probably 
getting offered 350 400 as an example, but I can get 500 or 550 somewhere else. They want that money for Jackson. There's the next one. Darcy Tucker's probably thinking, oh, I can't get into the middle of the ground because of Sarong and mm. Rayshaw and so on, so on, so on, so And so then there's another storyline. But probably what's happened in all of this is coming at the detriment of Rory Lobb's clear indication, and we were trying to get him at the Giants last year, and we thought we nearly had him. Okay, he, he felt for whatever reason, he think oh, I needed to get out of Perth, and he wanted to come back to the club he originated at, at the Giants. He's saying, well, okay, well, I'll dig in, and I'll play another 12 months, and then I'll go again. And it looks like he probably was number one, Sam, probably halfway through the year. Mm. But with all these other storylines happening, he's now been put down to probably number four or five, and they're sitting there and going, I don't think we can do this now because it's way too many players. Even though we are putting a lot of eggs in that um, basket of bringing Jackson over, we need to keep Lob. And so that then can become a disgruntled player who might say, well, no, we've been brewing. This has been brewing for nearly two years. I want out. Is it fair to say then that for Rory to get his wish, three other trades have to happen ahead of him? Jackson has to be done. They have to see how much money's still in the purse. Griffin Logue needs, they need to work out which way Griffin Logue works, and then you might be able to get to I think Rory. it's the other way. I mm. think it's the other way, Dem. I think it's, the Jackson deal looks like it's going to be done. I mean, it's a, probably yeah. the best kept secret that's out everywhere. But the second one is, I think they have to go, no, we're keeping Logue. Now Rory can get done. Because if Logue and Tucker and um, Leek, Meek, Lloyd, and four of them done, they don't want to lose five seasoned players that are in that bracket of 22 to 26 or 27 years old all of a sudden overnight. And, and the reason you need to do the, the Griffin Logue one is because you want him forward in the absence mm. of, of Rory Lobb. Mm. It's an interesting look. It's more intriguing by the day, I think. So Fremantle's one with yep. Rory Lobb as the poster boy for that. Who? What's two? Well, they're related. Two and one are related, as Leon points out. We go to Luke Jackson, who this week confirmed, well, the worst kept secret in the game, that he wants to return home to WA. West Coast are saying they won't trade pick two. They've also got 20. Fremantle have picked 13, and bugger all else's thing stands. So I think it's actually shrewd management, just as an aside, Jared, for Jackson's management to not nominate a club which we, yep. we've seen can blow back on players who want to quote go home but do they really want to go home if you're nominating a specific club so there's every expectation that he gets the dockers and as west coast have said they need to actually sit down with jackson first to see whether he actually wants to come to them so it would appear as though they're not fully convinced either the fact they're not willing to part with pick two as list manager rowan o'brien said I'm, I'm not sure what else gets it done perhaps there's a split of two if jackson was willing to play for the eagles i, I don't expect it would get to that Rowan O'Brien just quickly he spoke during the week on SENWA. Oh there's a, an air of confidence that we think we can convince him and we can uh, hopefully get the deal done um, but as I said uh, opportunities like Luke don't come along very often so uh, when they do come along you'd be remiss not to explore them and put your best foot forward. I think the footy world would be absolutely shocked if he nominated West Coast. I think we're we're convinced that he's going to join Fremantle. And then we get into a wider discussion of how does it work with Sean Darcy in his prime years at the moment in purple. I'm more interested in the value 
So pick two feels right to me, but Fremantle aren't going to be anywhere near that. So Melbourne's starting point is two top ten picks. I think they're right to start there, knowing they that's not what they'll get. Mm. But I think it's the right starting point. Yeah, oh, look, I think Fremantle's fullback will be their pick 13, and you'll get our first pick next year. I think they'll, that's the way to get the deal done, and there'll be lots of haggling and exchanging the picks. I mean, the real interesting one, as you mentioned, Sam, is the West Coast sits 17th, second pick in the preseason draft. Yeah. Now, clearly, Melbourne do not want to lose him for nothing, so Fremantle are probably sitting there thinking, we're in a pretty good position here because um, if he goes to West Coast, Fremantle lose and so do Melbourne. And so, and West Coast, I don't think would want to give up pick two. They're, they've they acknowledge they need to go to the draft. They want to get, bring some kids in. It's, and I don't think they have that that player personnel to start exchanging players back towards Melbourne. No. Any broader implications in this, Dermot? A pick three, three years. So this is Isaac Rankin. This is Luke Jackson. This is not just yeah. an expansion club return home. Is yeah. usually that's where the conversation is embedded. It's it's not that. It's this generation of player is ready to take empowerment sooner than their predecessors. It certainly swung in the last decade, hasn't it? The first hint we had of the player wielding power over the clubs was when Chris Judd said, I'm coming home and I nominate my own team, Carlton, as my destination. And we all sat mm. back and went, the cheek of the man. <laughs> <laughs> That's when it started. Yeah. Um, and it's become it's become the standard play now, hasn't it? So I think to go to drill into it, Jackson's a desperately fine player, a, an, an excellent player at this stage of his career and on an upward uh, plane. I can't warrant two top ten picks for him right now. I could, I could see my way to a top ten and something of, of significant value, but not two top ten picks. All right, so those are the first two, Fremantle and Luke Jackson. I might clear our break now, Sam, and then go three, four, and five. We're deep in the, the trade discussion. We're gearing up for all the action today at the SCG for Dometic. Make your next adventure effortless with the Dometic Go Collection. Just pack, stack, and go. The award-winning Crunch Time. Who needs a rever for Harley Heaven? The Harley Davidson Pan America is coming to Harley Heaven in Melbourne, Dandenong and Ringwood. Visit harleyheaven.com.au for details. The trade scenarios are revving like rarely before. Sam Edmund is taking us through them. One, Fremantle. Two, Luke Jackson. What's the third most compelling storyline right now? I think it's Josh Dunkley and the Western Bulldogs, Jared. Now that Brisbane is out of the equation, all the hurdles that could be in front of uh, this decision have now been removed. So an announcement is due early next week here. So the Bulldogs, Port Adelaide, Brisbane all in the mix. He's not a free agent. He needs to be traded for. Dot joining, we've always said, you're saying Brisbane, but he has never been one to rush a decision either. So his situation is absolutely fascinating as it unfolds. And then you extrapolate that out to, there's a bit happening at the Dogs in terms of potential departures as well. That's headlined by Josh Dunkley, but also Hayden Crozier, contracted but looking around for other opportunities. And if there is one, he'll be off. Josh Shackey, no deal for him. Been kicking bags in the VFL. Zane Cordy does have an offer but hasn't signed it. So perhaps he is off as well. Jason Johannesson now more likely to stay given the Suns have moved on to Ben Long, who's requested a trade up there. But Josh Dunkley, finally, will get a decision, I think, early next week. 
And you think, Leon, that would be a great acquisition for the Lions? Well, in terms of complementing their their run, their endurance base, they need to do that. And with the young kid coming in who apparently covers the ground already, young Will Ashcroft, I just adding two overnight. Uh, he's not the most polished player, Dunkley, but he just he's just a competitor, and he gets he just he's there all the time. So I think that would suit the Lions if they were after him. I mean, it would also suit Port Adelaide. So clearly, those two are, are after his services. And as your we touched on forty five minutes ago, if you're the line coach for the Lions, yes, uh, yeah, you can do more things forward Absolutely. with him as well. Four, Sam. Leon's a master at this because he steered us into four as well. So uh, the Hawks and the Lions are related here. So Jack Gunston will next week make a call like Dunkley. And like Dunkley, he has heavy interest from Brisbane. He's a free agent and will be a very nice replacement for Dan McStay, who, of course, is joining Collingwood. He bounced back from that back problem. 32-24 from 16 games this year. His teammate Tom Mitchell wants out as well and has knocked on Collingwood's door. But just on the Lions, though. So they've lost a preliminary final. They have a commitment from the best player in the draft, the father-son Will Ashcroft. Then there's Jasper Flair. Fletcher, the son of Adrian, also available as a father-son and considered a first-round talent. Then there's Gunston, who could join as a free agent. So, again, they don't have to give up anything for him. Dunkley does need to be traded for, and the Dogs will command that capital. But the Lions will need to accumulate the points to do it. But they could bring in Ashcroft, Fletcher, Dunkley and Gunston, and they were one game away from getting into a grand final. Oh, settle down. Come on. <laughs> I don't want to lose Jack Gunston. <laughs> so, so, Sam, is it... Is it real that Jack is looking around? It's a 50-50 call, I think it's fair to say, Leon. He has had the offer from Hawthorne for some time, but he's held off on signing that. And we know that Brisbane have tabled an indicative offer for him. So at the moment, he he just has a choice to make. He requested some more time um, for next week. So uh, he's that's one that he's been sitting on, Brisbane or staying put at Hawthorne. Uh, Damn, it's a, it's an issue. From a Brisbane point of view, we're talking about that medium player. Yeah, I was thought of the high the, the high yeah. half forward. Yeah, Gunston, massive motor, huge work rate, straight shooter. Now clearly that would have dropped away a yeah. little bit as he's got a little bit older, but he's not the one that gets right up the ground like he used to when in the early days when Hawthorne won Basically flags. Basically played but, on the wing, but he can run. Yeah, I, I think Luke Bruce re-signing with Hawthorne mm. will have a little bit of an effect on. Jack Gunston. Uh, Positively or negatively? Positively, yeah. I think think he'll say, we are the ones who can see this through. This is our our legacy. Um, Other than that, my belief, I've said it many times, is that if the player wants to go and chase success, you cannot begrudge him. Isaac Smith, okay? Mm. He, He was probably emotionally, mentally done at Hawthorne. He's got a new lease on life, and he is the epitome of the old new lease on life. I've gone to a new club. I'm free-spirited. I'm going out there. I'm playing great footy again. I have this belief that if you've got a a, a prestige car, once it hits 200,000 Ks, you trade it in. You get peanuts for it because it's got a lot of miles on the clock, but it's still running beautifully. Jack Gunston is still running beautifully. And if you let, allow him to walk from the club, you get nothing for that car. Mm, mm. You may as well get. You may as well keep him for the full life of the motor, because what you get for him, whether compensation or a draft choice at this stage, it's not going to be as good as Jack Gunston's last two seasons. No. So 
Keep running that prestige vehicle, I reckon. I That's must say, your analogies, both of you, have been... Jared, <laughs> is, is that the Hawthorne coming out in here? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and you'd Pouring out of him. It wasn't. What's right. number five, Sam? I'll whip through this one. The Melbourne Smalls. I did agonise over five. There's a special mention I want to get to as well. But Jackson's teammate, Cozzy Pickett. Now, the port interest is real and strong, but it might also need to be long, Jared, because Cozzy told the Demons at his exit interview he's excited about spending 2023 at the club, but that is the final year of his contract. Now, he has held off on signing an extension. Melbourne would love to get him to do that. He hasn't done that. So maybe a watch for next year. We know Porter bringing in Junior Rioli and perhaps the second round compo pick they get for Carl Amon makes that happen. But Toby Bedford has a VFL grand final to play tomorrow and then a very big decision to make. Has a contract offer from Melbourne, but also interest from a host of clubs, North Melbourne, Essendon and GWS. My special mention is Gold Coast. We spoke about this earlier this week, Jared. I think the Suns are about to pull the trigger on something very proactive. The salary cap threat and the salary dump trade. We've had a sprinkling of those in recent times. The Suns and Will Brody only last year. Collingwood and Adam Trelaw famously before that. But I think the Suns are about to embark on something. They've had access to a bigger list due to the concessions. And they've got the likes of Raoul and Anderson out next year. Ben King will roll around quickly as well. They need to protect their elite young talent from poachers. And the challenge for clubs like the Suns, as we've seen at the Giants, is they have had to pay more to keep these players from established clubs in established markets and the cycle they feel will only keep repeating you know hopefully for them contend lose players go to draft contend lose players go to draft now the Suns are going to look to snap that in some way shape or form I think in this trade period and it does loom as a really fascinating scenario so potentially Suns players who we couldn't have imagined being on the open market. I think so. Just because they need to balance the books better. I'm not sure what shape that manifests itself in in reality, but it's certainly a watch. I think we'll hear about more on that shortly. Turn your daily commute into a daily thrill-seeking adventure at Harley Heaven, Melbourne, Ringwood and Dandenong. Sam, you're in full flow, so let's have a dabble. Enjoying Crunch Time Banter? Check out Dabble Banter channels and copy Crunch Time Bets. Go on, have a dabble. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. Yes, indeed, Jared. Time to go to our man Josh Jeans again. It's that time of the day. G'day, JJ. G'day, Sammy. How are we? How did we go last week, please, mate? Yeah, sadly, both multis that we had on the Pies Dockers game missing by one leg each. So uh, we were there, but just not at the end. Okay, all right. So Saturday we missed both multis. That leaves a sour taste. What about last night? The curse continues, unfortunately. He needed Jezza Cameron to kick it two or more. Unfortunately, the one goal too. But look, we're there about. So it's good news going into today, I reckon. All right. So who else should we be following on the app? It's a must-ask question every week. Yeah, Sport Journal. They're uh, new to the app. They've got to hit a $3 multi as well as Jackson Panther, who hit a $17, $8, $3.60 multi last week as well. So he's on fire if you're looking for someone to follow. Big game this afternoon. What do you like? Yeah, I know. Exciting, isn't it? Looking like to be the uh, the match of the finals. Collingwood, uh, they had the flu in twenty uh, round 22, but uh, only lost by 27 points. So 25 and a half point starters there. We're liking that. Buddy just snagged two or more. Perhaps to score for the Swannies. Mm. Ginevin, uh, my check as well to score for the Pies. Pendles and Parker, we know they rack up the disposal, so we're liking them as well. That's paying $8.00. And, of course, uh, the AFLW, that's going ahead. So we've got a multi-up there. You can check on the account. Jeez, I like that. I reckon you've got a future in this game, Josh. <laughs> I love it. I love it indeed. It's the best job in the world, Sammy. But, of course, you can follow the Crunch Time AFL team, uh, download the app, and go on. Have a dabble, dabble responsibly, and uh, enjoy the day.
Enjoying crunch time banter. Check out Dabble Banter Channels and copy crunch time bets. Go on, have a dabble gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. Sam, terrific work today. We are at the SCG for the second preliminary final, the Sydney Swans and Collingwood. A little bit of lunch, I think, and then back to the broadcast box to set you up for the 4.45 opening siren. That's crunch time. G'day, Mike Hussey here. Get on board Australia's best fantasy cricket game, KFC Supercoach BBL. It's fun, free and easy to play. Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005.